We just read it, but go ahead and if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll look at it again. And we'll begin to highlight some different things out of this verse um, that's going to lead us into our series on the solution. The solution. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. So where are they at? In Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How many of you are glad that he chose you? Look, we didn't choose him. See, in the, in the democracy and in the government that we live in today, we choose our leaders. But there's a different value and there's a different assessment that's placed upon your leader and the person that has called you when he chose you. He's the one that chose you. We didn't choose Jesus. We didn't choose God. Now, sure, you made the ultimate decision to come to him and to live for him, but this says here that before you chose him, he actually chose you. He already had a plan and purpose laid out for your life. He already had a plan for your life before you came into the kingdom. We didn't make a choice to come into the kingdom, and then Jesus said, okay, now let me find something for you to do. He already had that planned out way before we came to the notion of, I need a Savior, I need Jesus as my Lord in my life. He had already come out with a plan saying, all right, I knew you were going to make that choice one day, so here's what I want you to do. And he had this planned out and predestined, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. So let's keep going. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, look at this, according to the good pleasure of his will. It brings God pleasure when we operate in his will. Now, I want to open up with some statements here. And we'll all find ourselves in one of these categories. But first of all, people want to know God's will. People want to know God's will. Uh, I don't know of very many believers, very many people that want to live for Christ, that have made the choice to make him Lord of their life, make him the Savior in their life, and have chosen to live for him. I don't know very many of them that say, you know what, I don't really care about God's will for my life. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that he died on the cross for me. I'm glad that, you know, he rose again to give me eternal life, and I know one day I'm going to go to heaven. But, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not really concerned with God's will for my life. Most believers that I know and that I've come into contact with want to know God's will for their life. And in fact, for us as pastors, uh, that's a conversation we have with a lot of people. Um, there's a notion out there, you know, that because we're pastors that we're closer to God, and so God can give us direction for their life that he can't give them specifically. And we're going to find out that God's will doesn't have to come through us, that he, you can actually discover God's will for yourself. That's exciting. You don't have to go through a man anymore. Okay, so you can discover God's will for your life. But most people that I know want to know God's will. We know this. 
that when we come in to the kingdom, that we're to follow him. We have that down. We know that we're supposed to follow him. Remember, Jesus spoke to his disciples when he was calling them, and he said, come, follow me. So we know we're supposed to follow Jesus, follow God. But the question is, the question isn't, are we supposed to follow him? The question is, how do we follow him? Because here's the ultimate goal of knowing God's will. We want to know God's will so we can do God's will. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal in people wanting to know God's will is because they're saying inside themselves, I want to do his will. I want to live his purpose for my life. I want to live out his plan for my life. I want to do what he wants me to do. How many of you know God wants you to do something? Most people believe that. Most people believe that there's something God specifically wants them to do with their lives. And so we spend a lot of our time as believers, whether it's subconsciously in our minds or whether it's right up front in our minds, a lot of believers spend their life as a Christian, as a believer, trying to just find out what does God want me to do. I want to know what he wants me to do so then I can do what he wants me to do. And so that's where last week's message comes into play. And I told you that it was going to set us up for this because if we don't have the obedience factor down, what you, knew, what you know is going to do you no good. Because if you know what to do and then don't do it, now, we're, now you're actually in a bigger mess than when you were ignorant of what to do. So most people want to know God's will. Most people want to know God's will because they want to do God's will. Here's the exciting thing. According to this verse, God wants you to know his will. Not only do you want to know God's will, it's exciting to know that God wants us to know his will. In fact, the end of that verse, verse 5, says, according to the good pleasure of his will. God gets pleasure out of his people following his will. That's what makes God happy. That's what makes God uh, pleased with our lives is when we're walking in his will. So most people want to know God's will. Most people want to know God's will so they can do God's will. And now we've discovered that God gets pleasure out of us knowing his will. And not just knowing his will, but doing his will. We want to know God's will to do his will. God wants us to know his will and do his will. So that's exciting. We have to kind of lay this groundwork. Now, how many of you remember the series that we did last year on purpose? We talked about the original intent. We talked about the will and the purpose of God. And I want you to know that you'll see bits and pieces of that series in this, but we're going to go deeper than that. Because basically what we covered last year was a general overall, what is God's purpose for mankind in the earth? And we saw that the purpose for mankind was never to go to heaven. We saw that our, his intention and his purpose for our lives, according to Genesis 1.26, was for man to inhabit the earth and bring heaven to earth. 
Jesus is the only man that ever walked this earth with a heaven-to-earth mentality and not an earth-to-heaven mentality. See, we all come in the kingdom because we have this promise. One day we're going to die and go to heaven and live with him for eternity. So we have this drive, a earth to heaven mentality. But Jesus came to the earth and said, I'm trying to get heaven here. I'm not trying to get from here to heaven. Jesus was the other way around. Now I will say this, Adam was originally created with that mindset as well. Get this realm down here. Whatever my will is up here, I want my will to take place down there. So when we talked about the original intent, when we talked about purpose, we talked about the overall general, because here's what you have to understand about God's will. There's a general and there's a specific. There's two types of God's will for mankind. There's a general, and there's a specific. And when we talked about the first series, that was discovering God's general purpose for mankind. It was talking about God's general purpose for mankind. The overall outlook, we all have the same purpose. We all have the same uh, will from God for our lives. Every single person that's born again, every single believer. In fact, every person on the face of the earth, the first thing that has to take place is you have to come into his kingdom. That's what qualifies you to do kingdom work. So we covered the general. But this series, I want to cover the specific. How does your specific role play in the general purpose that God has for our lives? That's what I want to cover through the next several weeks. Now, the general, general, God's general will is called purpose. That's the word that we assign for God's general purpose. God's general will, we call it purpose. And just to let you know, um, we're going to, I'm going to be in in a heavy teaching mode through this series because I want to take you line by line precept upon precept each principle and each standard for discovering God's will and so I, usually on Sundays I get a little more preachy and I can do a little more uh, than I do on Wednesdays those of you that come on Wednesdays you know how uh, you know those are mainly set up it's more teaching oriented so you'll take a lot of notes. There's going to be a lot to write down. There's going to be a lot to discover, and you'll want to do that through this series. So God's overall general will, we call it purpose. God's specific will, we call it assignment. We call it assignment. And so this series, the solution, we're going to try to better understand God's assignments in our life. Because here's the thing. Purpose never changes, but assignments do. Purpose never changes, but assignments do change. 
I'm going to make a statement, and this may shock you. You may have heard me say this before. But we have the same purpose as Jesus. What does that mean? That means Jesus' general assignment in the or general Jesus' general will in the earth is our general will in the earth. And let me put it this way God's general will for Jesus is God's general will for us. Here's what's different. Jesus' assignment is different than our assignment. Jesus' assignment is different than our assignment. What was his assignment? His assignment was the cross. So you can say, I'm here to do what Jesus did. You can literally say that. In fact, we're the body of Christ. So we should be continuing to do what Jesus did, generally. But when someone says, what are you going to do, go to the cross? No, because that was Jesus' assignment. That wasn't his purpose. Jesus never said the cross was his purpose. Jesus never said that he came so he could die on a cross to get everyone to heaven. Go through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Not only is there uh, one book, there's four books you can look at. And not one time will you find that he discovers that, uh, or he states that his overall purpose was to go to the cross. That's the one thing we highlight, but that was his assignment. So here's the thing. All of us can have the same purpose in life. But we may not all have the same assignment in life. So we're going to go through this series and we're going to discover God's assignment for our life. And this is where the confusion comes in. Uh, you know, when I was working on this series, and this has been kind of boiling in me for a while now, and I was thinking, God, you know, what do you want to call it? You know, discovering God's will. But, you know, I, I knew there's something deeper that we can all touch. And the one thing that I realized about God's will for most believers, including myself sometimes, is the fact that it can be just downright confusing. For me, the most confusing thing in my life is math. I'm just not a math guy. I'm just not a math guy. Now, when I was in St. Augustine, I worked for a bank for six years. And I got better at math as far as numbers and being able to do stuff in my head. But the worst year of my life was my sophomore year. Because in the 10th grade in Texas, you're required to take geometry. Now, algebra was bad enough. Letters do not belong in math equations. I'm sorry. Numbers are for math. Multiplication, division, subtraction, addition. Let, let, let's just stick with numbers. That's hard enough. Why are we throwing letters in here now? So that was bad enough. That was my freshman year. And I barely got through that. But then my sophomore year, they want to introduce something else. Shapes. Now we have numbers. Now we have letters. Now we have shapes. I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing here? Why? 
What does shapes have to do with math? Now we're having to try to find the area of something. We're trying to find the circumference of something. We have circles. We have squares. We have triangles. We have rectangles. We have pentagons, octagons. And we have, then we have 3D shapes. I'm thinking, that was the worst year of my life when it came to math. I just, that's the most confusing thing. So I realized, you know what? When, it, when, when we're talking about God's will, for me, that's the greatest way to relate it. Is the confusing aspect of numbers and graphs and shapes and letters and this minus this plus this and all this silliness. But in doing that, it helped me realize something. Because in math, there are elementary principles that are required for you to know. If you don't know what 2 plus 2 is, you're going to have a hard time with A plus B. If we don't get down the simple stuff, we're going to have a hard time with the thicker stuff, the heavier stuff, the weightier stuff. Well, God's will is the same way. If we don't get down the simple, practical principles of God's will, we're going to have a hard time with the deeper principles of God's will. Because here's the thing. We look in the Bible, and we see people that ultimately did God's will. And we see people that didn't do God's will. But in the Bible, we see things like angels coming. I mean, how many of you wish sometimes when you're, uh, you know, in a deep situation, you want to know, what is God's will? Do I buy this house? Do I buy this property? Do I not buy this house? Do I move my children and family? Do I take this job? Do I go back to school? Uh, You know, marriage is a big one. Uh, You know, am I supposed to marry this person? Because how many of you have ever heard the statement, There's one person for everybody. Anyone ever heard that? Here's the problem with that. If I married the wrong one, let's just put that out there. Watch this. If I married the wrong person, the person that she was supposed to marry is now going to marry the wrong person. Now that person that married the wrong person The person they were supposed to marry is now going to go out and marry the wrong person. Does anyone see how we have just jacked up the entire human race and the the human origin of marriage? Because I, I mean, that's a pretty weighty decision. But see, we, we have these things that they sound good, but they just don't make sense. And so we're trying to discover these discover God's will, but how many of you have ever just wished that an angel would just come down and just make it clear, do not buy that house right now. You need to buy this one. Anyone wish an angel would just come on down? How many of you wish that God would just wake you up in the middle of the night like he did Joseph or Jacob? How many of you wish that God would send three angels to your house like Abraham and say, You are going to have a baby, and you're wondering, am I ever going to have children? I mean, the stuff in the Bible seems so much simpler to today. We we think to ourselves, well, yeah, if I had a burning bush, I'd... (laughs) Right? If God spoke to me in a bush that was burning, but it didn't really burn, yeah, I'd follow God's will like that. Right? We have these conversations. 
If God woke me up in the middle of the night with an angel like he did Joseph and said, yeah, you need to get out of town, I need to know, am I supposed to stay here or am I supposed to move? What is God's will for my life? And so we see how God spoke to people and how God directed people in the Bible. And we're wondering, well, no wonder I'm having such a hard time with God's will. I didn't have anybody, I didn't have a prophet come to me and say, this is what you're going to do. I didn't have an angel come down and, you know, uh, in a shining light and blind me for three days like Paul would say, you are going to preach the gospel. I'm wondering, am I, am, I supposed, am I called to be in ministry or am I not? That's a big one for people that are in ministry. Am I, am I called to ministry? Am I called to be a pastor? Am I called to be a leader? Am I called to, to travel? Am I called to be a missionary? I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. And so here's the concern that we have. Is we know the importance of being in God's will. So we have a fear of being out of God's will. And so a decision that ultimately should be bringing freedom to our lives has actually imprisoned us and has locked up. And I have come into uh, uh, contact with a lot of believers that are imprisoned by is this God's will or not rather than it being free, rather than it be bringing freedom to their lives. They're actually locked up by the fact of I'm trying to find God's will rather than the freedom that it should be bringing. And so this, I believe, is probably one of the most important concepts that we'll talk about. People want to know God's will. People want to be in God's will. People want to do God's will. People are afraid of being out of the, the will of God. God wants you to know his will. God wants you to do his will. And look at this. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. God wants you to know his will concerning that job more than you want to know. God wants you to know his will based upon, uh, you know, are we supposed to have more kids or are we not supposed to have more kids? God wants you to know his will on am I supposed to go back to school or not? God wants you to know his will more than you do based upon, am I supposed to start this business or not? Is this the right time to start this business? Is this the right person to go into partnership with the business with? God wants you to know the answers and directions to those things more than you do. God wants you to be in his will more than you want to be in his will. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. One translation says, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's an understanding that's necessary to knowing God's will, living in God's will, walking in God's will making decisions in our lives based upon what the will of God is. Now, you know, we have those people that, you know, they, they're asking God, you know, what clothes should I wear today? 
Should I wear that purple shirt or should I wear the blue shirt? Should I wear the red shirt or should I wear, should I eat a cinnamon toast crunch or should I just eat frosted flakes today? There's those people, should I take this road to work or should I go down? Anyone ever heard stories of people where, you know, I just felt like I should go this way. And then I found out later on there was a major car accident on that road that I normally take. And had I gone down the road, I could have been in the car accident. Everyone heard of those stories? Yep. And so now what that has done is that has imprisoned us. I got to know what the will of God is. God, which, which way do you want me to go? God, God do you want me to uh, go the long way to work? Or do you want me to take the back road? Or, or maybe there's, uh, do you want me to stop at Publix on the way home? Because maybe there's someone there that I want to minister. And we feel like if these, these decisions that we make in life are going to alter the entire universe if we don't get it right. Should I text that friend late at night? You know, he might be thinking about committing suicide. And if I, if I don't text him, then he's going to kill himself. And we put the weight on us. That if we don't get the decision right, someone's going to lose their life. We could lose their life. And we're going to be outside of the will of God and how dangerous that is. And so what it does is it creates a prison. And it locks us down rather than trying to discover the will of God to bring us freedom. And this might shock you, but I think there's a lot of things that we ask God's will about that he's up in heaven. He goes, I don't care if you eat Frosted Flakes or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I don't care which way you go to work. Because here's the thing. We're putting weight and pressure on ourselves that makes us God instead of remembering that he's God. That's a pressure and weight that you don't belong committing yourself to. And so today, I want to show you that when God wants you to know his will, it's beyond the what, and it's deeper to the how. See, God doesn't, doesn't care who you marry. He cares how you treat that person. He cares the fact that you're about to walk into an assignment as a husband. God doesn't care how many children you have. He cares how you raise those children. See what I'm saying? It goes beyond. Maybe we've been asking the wrong question. Because look, here's the thing. We feel... That God has hidden his will. Why is he hiding his will? Why does God hide his will? Have you ever lost something that you have searched for? Did anyone hide it from you or did you just lose it? Sometimes we look for things that aren't hidden. We just aren't looking in the right place. I've lost things before. And when I ultimately found them, I didn't say, now, who hid this from me? Who took my shoes? And that happens. Camden thinks he's funny, and he'll take things, and he'll move them. He's moved my keys. He's moved my cell phone. Going all over the house, and somebody hid my stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you today, God's not hiding his will. Look at this passage. Let's see if we're there yet. 
skip on down to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. You're already in Ephesians. If you're on U version, it's way down towards the bottom. And we're going to cover all this stuff in the middle. I know it looks like a lot, but we're just going to run through it. We got time. This is an important subject. We got to cover this stuff because people are asking these questions. And look, even if you're not in a situation right now thinking, you know, I think I'm in God's will. I think I'm doing pretty good. Something's going to come up one day in your life, and you're going to need to know, is this God's will? How do I discover God's will? And who knows? There may be someone in your life tomorrow that goes, you know, I just, I really want to know God's will for my, and you'll be able to help them. You'll be able to kind of point them in the right direction. Sometimes we don't just get words for ourselves. Sometimes we get something so we can help somebody else. So stay with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. The mystery. Paul calls God's will a mystery. Why is God hiding his will from us? But today, I want to bring the notion that maybe he's not hiding his will. Maybe we're just looking in the wrong places. And so I want to help us look in the right place. You know how much time is saved when you know exactly where to look for something? That's why we always try to put things back in the same place. I hate it when I just walk in the house and I just throw my wallet or throw my keys somewhere. And then when it's time to go somewhere, I'm like, wait, where did I put it? And what's the first thing I think? I need to put it in one place. And then I spend all this time looking for something that if I would have just put it back in the same place, I'd have been able to find it. No one hid them. No one hid my keys. No one hid my wallet. No one's trying to play a joke on me. I'm just not looking in the right place. I want to help us discover God's will today and through these next series. And you're going to see steps. And you're going to see how discovering God's will is actually rather simple. I want to take the guessing game out of God's will. I want to take the guesswork. Because how many of you hate guessing at something, hoping that you get it right? I do. I hate that. In, in school, taking a test, even on true and false, man, it's 50-50 chance. But I hate, ah, man, well, you know, it's. I got a chance. I got a 50-50 shot here. But you hate that. You want to know. You want to know that's the right choice. That's the right answer. You don't want to guess. And when it comes to God's will, there's a lot riding on the line. Amen? So we want to know God's will. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Here's the first point you have to know. The first point you have to know about God's will. You cannot do God's will until you know God's will. Uh, that's real simple, Pastor Mark. Did you really study? Hey, we're going to get real simple. We're going to break this down, okay? You cannot do God's will until you know God's will. 
And so we see an emphasis being placed on these three verses that God has a great will for our lives. He has a great plan for our lives. He has a great purpose for our lives. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, a, a, a future of good, a future of hope, not disaster. Well, thank God he planned it out. Amen? Thank God that we didn't come in the kingdom and he's saying, great, now what do I do? I never expect them to actually receive me. I never expe- ever expected them to want to live for me. Now I've got to come up with something for them to do. No, God is a planner. God is an architect. He has set up our lives way before we were even thought of. And now the goal is for us to find out what he wants us to do. So thank God he's got a plan. Thank God he's got a will. And now we want to know the will. And it's so awesome to find out that he wants us to know his will. He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to keep it from you. He's not trying to uh, play a guessing game with you. Let's see if you get it right. Let's see how awesome. Let's see how spiritual you are. No, he wants you to discover it. He wants you to discover and know his will and purpose for your life. So you can't do God's will until you know God's will. Look at this. You don't do God's will by accident. Just go ahead and let you know. You won't discover or you won't actually do God's will by accident. Doing God's will comes comes from a purposeful life to know and discover God's will. So that means we got to learn to look in the right place. That means we got to learn to ask the right questions. And doing God's will is the ultimate goal in knowing God's will. I hope that that's your goal today. And if it's not, that's the first thing that needs to adjust. I want to know God's will so I can do God's will. If you look in the Bible, there are people that God, God made his will known to them concerning specific assignments. Not just their overall purpose, but specifically what they're supposed to do. And sometimes the assignment that was given was something they didn't want to do. But you have to settle in your heart. The second I know God's will, I'm going to do God's will. The second his will is revealed to me, I'm going to be obedient and do it. That's why we taught on obedience last week. Now, God's will was at the forefront of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was obsessed with God's will for his life. That's all he cared about, was the will of the Father. Here's some verses that identify that. If you're on version, I'm just going to kind of go through them. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. Look what Jesus says here. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus has just outlined, if you do the will of my Father, you're in my family. That's a pretty good family to be in, amen? You want to be in that group. You want to be associated as being a part of Jesus' family. And he says, if you do the will of my Father, you will be my brother. You'll be my sister. You'll be my mother. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food, my daily substance, is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to finish his work. That's what feeds me. What does food do? Food gives you energy. Food gives you drive. Food keeps you alive. He says, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that gives me purpose, the thing that gives me drive in life, the thing that keeps me alive is doing the will of my father. He was obsessed with the will of his father. He was consumed with doing God's will. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Look, even Jesus had to seek the Father's will. If Jesus had to seek his Father's will, you will have to seek his Father's will. It doesn't come by accident. It comes because you choose to go after it. It comes because you choose to know the will of the Father. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That should be the cry of every person in this building. I am here not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. Look at this. Jesus identifies the greatest combatant, the greatest opposition, the greatest enemy to doing and knowing God's will in your life is your will. Well, the enemy is attacking God's will in my life. No, he's not. Your own desires, your own flesh, and your own will is attacking God's will for your life. He says here, he identifies the only thing that comes between me and God's will is my own will, my own desires, what I want to do. The greatest struggle that Jesus ever showed himself to be in, he didn't struggle with much. You look through his ministry. He's casting out demons. He's raising up dead people. He's uh, healing the sick, right? And the greatest time he ever showed struggle in his life was when he was in prayer right before going to the cross. And the struggle was between his will and his father's will. He said, not my will, but yours. The greatest thing that will oppose the will of God in your life is not the devil. It's your will, your desire. Sometimes we have trouble walking in God's will for our life because we're only walking in our will for our life. Sometimes we only want to know God's will in hopes that it will line up with what we already will. <laughs> Lastly, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said this, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was so consumed with God's will for his life that when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, make sure when you pray that you are desiring God's will to take place in the earth. This is how obsessed he was with the will of God. This is how obsessed he was with the, with the Father's plan for his life. 
Now, here's the thing about God's will. Not everything that we want to know God's will about is in the Bible. What I mean is, there are some things that we uh, will address throughout this series. And I want, to, I want to remind you that you can bring us questions that you're having concerning God's will for your life. Things that you're dealing with in your life. We want to know and we want to be able to help cover them. Because we all have questions concerning God's will. Now, there are certain questions that we have that are outlined in the Bible. Very easy. Is it God's will for me to tithe? Is it God's will for me to go to church? Is it God's will for me to stay married to my spouse? Is it God's will uh, for me uh, to work a job? Every single one of those can be answered and outlined very clearly in the Bible. Yes, the Bible commands us to tithe. Yes, the Bible uh, does not uh, speak against separating, but it says what, what God has brought together, let no man bring asunder. Divorce is not an option in the Bible. Uh, the Bible uh, does say that we are supposed to work. If a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. Yes, the Bible says that we are supposed to assemble together as one body and attend a church and be a part of a local body. So some of those are easy. But here's the ones that we struggle with. Who do I marry? How much do I give? How many kids am I supposed to have? What job am I supposed to take? What house am I supposed to buy? These are the questions that we go through and come up on in life, and we find out the Bible doesn't really lay that out well enough for me. What church do I go to? The Bible doesn't speak specifically in those areas. And so those are the questions where the confusion comes in. Those are the questions where we're like, okay, what's the formula to solving this thing? Right? In math, a lot of times you have formulas to solving something. So what is the formula to discovering God's will for my life? What is the formula to discovering, am I called to the ministry or am I not called to the ministry? You know, some of the questions that we have, they really build up when we're in high school and then in college. It really seems like, you know, when you're dealing with kids from 15 to about 25, there are so many life-altering, life-changing decisions that we feel like, and really, there's some heavy, what, what, what university do I go to? You know, I went to a Christian high school, so I was surrounded by students that wanted to know God's will concerning what school to go to. In my life, I can pick out very pinpointed decisions that I've made in my life where I needed to know what was God's will in that situation. And yes, there are times where God wants you to know specifically what to do. God wants you to know, do not go this way, there is danger up ahead. God will do that. He'll do that. 
God will bring that kind of direction in our life. Yes, this is the school I want you to go to. And then there's timing. Then there's the whole timing factor. Do I go to school now or do I wait till the kids are a little bit older? Or, or, and then it's just like your mind just wants to explode trying to discover God's will in these specific situations. And the Bible doesn't clearly outline all of them. But we want to look at what the Bible does outline. So here's the first thing I want you to know. Here's the first thing that I want you to know about solving God's will for your life. There is no formula to solving God's will. I know you feel like I just punched you in the chest. You just, you were getting all built up, and then it's like, great. You got nothing for me. You can't help me with this God's will problem. You can't help me discover God's, you got nothing. You just did all that. You just trying to get me in church today. You just wanted my tithe. (laughs) No. I'm going to tell you why there's no formula. And I'm going to identify this morning the greatest reason why people don't know God's will or have trouble discovering God's will. I'm going to help you with that today. Because when you realize what you've been doing wrong, then it helps you correct it. There is no formula to solving God's will. Here's why. If there was a formula to solving God's will, you wouldn't need God. See, when I was doing math, there were formulas and there were ways that I could figure that stuff out. And although I needed a teacher to help me, eventually I didn't need a teacher anymore. I had to have a teacher show me 2 plus 2 equals 4. But what happens when 2 plus 2 equals 5? What happens when 2 plus 2 equals 7? I still need someone to show me how to make that happen. Obviously, that never happens. But in our lives, 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4. Anyone ever found out that our lives, 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4? What worked last time isn't going to work this time. And there's no formula. There's no, uh, if you pray 30 minutes a day for 30 days, if you fast uh, for 40 days like Jesus did, if you go without this for this amount of time, if you read this amount of verses, and if you pray this type of prayer, then you'll know God's will. There's no formula. So that says the solution, the key to solving God's will. There is no key to solving God's will. (laughs) I'm just going to let you know. If there is a formula to solving God's will, then you don't need God anymore. We could just get the formula and be able to find out what his will is every time. So here's the first thing I want you to know. Well, I guess the second thing I want you to know. I already gave you the first thing. You can't do God's will until you know God's will. This is probably the most important thing in this entire series that you'll find that everything we talk about discovering God's will is going to evolve around this one principle. God's will is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. 
God's will is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. In trying to solve God's will for our lives, many of us have removed the most important part of the equation, and that is God. (laughs) We've tried to find out God's will without knowing God. We've tried to discover God's will for our lives rather than knowing who God is in our lives. The most important part of the equation we've been leaving out. Well, no wonder we've been having such a hard time discovering God's will. No wonder. We've left out the most important factor. God. We want the formula. We want the equation. We want to know how to solve this certain thing. But at the expense of knowing who God is. If God removes himself from the equation and just makes his will an easy formula, then how many of you know we probably all know God's will? But we wouldn't know him. And God is not going to remove himself from the equation. God is not going to take himself. He's not going to just lead you into who you're supposed to marry so you can just have the most wonderful marriage in the entire universe and remove himself from your marriage because he knows your marriage will fail without me. Your marriage will not be all that it can be without me. God's not going to tell you which job to take if you're going to remove him from the job. If you're not going to go to the job and be a proper witness and be a proper influence for the kingdom of God, then why would he tell you which job to take? We have yanked out the most important part of the equation. Jesus, in John chapter 10, we already know that he was obsessed with knowing the will of the Father. But in John chapter 10, verse 15, he says, As the Father knows me, Even so, I know the Father. Now, we know that, how many of you would agree Jesus knew the will of his Father for his life? How many of you would agree that? Well, now I'm showing you why. Now I'm going to show you how. John 10, 15, as the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father. How many of you believe God knows you? How many of you believe God knows the will he has for you? How many of you believe that God knows the plan he has for you? He's not up there guessing. He's not up there trying to figure it out. He's got it all figured out. He's got it all laid out. He's got it all planned out. But Jesus states here, as the Father knows me, I know the Father. How many of you can say that? I know God just as well as he knows me. Hmm. Yeah, I know. That just brings up a huge light bulb in our lives. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Look at John 10, verse 30, just 15 verses down. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. 
That means that Jesus was so close to his father that whatever the father's will was, he instantly knew what it was for his life. And it became his will. Look, if God's will will be invaluable to you if his will never becomes your will. I'll say that again. God's will will be invaluable. What I mean has no value. God's will will have no value in your life if his will never becomes your will. Jesus made a point in his ministry, in his life, that the will of the Father will always be my will. And I will always put down my will for his will. And so he was able to make the statement, I and my Father are one. Look at John 10, verse 27, just a few verses before that. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Why do the sheep follow him? Because the master makes them? Because they just are always around him? No, he says, the sheep hear my voice. Let me tell you one of the biggest, greatest differences between us and people in the Bible today. And I believe this is a huge factor in people understanding and knowing the will of God for their lives. It's one word. Distraction. We have distractions today. Point blank. See, you can hear God really well when you're sitting out in a field tending sheep. And if you go to Exodus chapter 3, and you look at when Moses found the burning bush, he wasn't looking for a burning bush. Read it. It says, while Moses was tending sheep for his father-in-law. Moses wasn't walking around going, all right, where's that? All right, God, you better show me a burning bush or something. I, I need to hear your voice. I need to know it. No, he was just busy doing something else. But the distractions that we have today, see, it's real hard to hear God's voice when we have a lot of other voices going right now. When the TV's going. When the radio's going. When the news is going. When other people's voices are going. I tell you what, man, sometimes we have the hardest time making decisions with some of the simplest, easiest decisions because we allow everybody around us to help us make that decision. And that'll be a factor that we look at when we start talking about hindrances to knowing God's will. And God is saying two plus two equals four. And you got everybody else saying it could be five, it could be seven, it could be ten, it could be twelve. It was 12 for me one time. Well, there was this one time that I was doing 2 plus 2 and it equals 6. And so now we take on someone else's personal opinion versus what the Word of God says and some of the easiest decisions that should be just so quick and simple when God's ready for you to move on to the next thing, we're still fighting with and we're still trying to discover because we're allowing way too many voices come in except for the one that really matters. 
Yeah, man, you need to leave her. Yeah, when she treats you like that, you need to get out of there. They don't know the first thing what the Bible says about what a godly marriage looks like. And so you start trying to get other people's opinions and other people's ideas. You start telling them your side of the story. When we know there's two sides to every story, but they don't care. They're going to get, man, you know, I, I was with a woman like that one time, and, man, I just had to kick her to the curb, man. And, and you know what? It was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> and so we, now we've taken on someone else who has, uh, we've allowed to have a voice in our life when the only voice that really mattered was God. And I tell you what, sometimes we make the wrong decision with things that are clearly outlined in the Bible. Man, you don't, gotta, you don't have to tithe. I mean, that's, that's Old Testament stuff. You don't really have to tithe. Ten percent, I mean, they're just after your money. That church is after. I went to a church like that one time, man, and the pastor, you know, he was taking the money, he was spending it on himself, and he was doing all kinds of stuff. And you don't give to a church. You don't. Now you took someone else's personal, terrible experience, and you've just made it a, a blanket statement for every church. All churches are after people's money. You don't have to tie their gift. On, a, on something that is clearly outlined in the Bible that we are to do. It's a rule, it's a principle, it's a law. Distraction. When you really want to hear God, when, when people come to me and say, man, I, I just need to know, I, I want to know the will of God for all. I mean, you know, there's this property available and it looks great, but I want to know that I'm in the will of God. I don't want to be out of the will of God. And so when, I, when, when, I'm, when, when, when people confront us with those type of situations, the first thing I make sure they do is get along with the one who already knows. So shut things down. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting is not a diet. It's not a, a spiritual diet plan. Fasting is about getting alone with the one who already knows what to do so you can hear him clearly. So shut the TV off. Get time alone with you and God. More time than you're used to doing. Get, uh, you know, shut the food out. Shut the noise out. Shut the radio out. Take those times to hear God's voice. But the problem is, is we are so consumed with just knowing something that we forget to build a relationship with the one who knows what to do. God's will is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. It's about cultivating a relationship. Look, nobody in here likes it when people just come to you for something, but they never want to develop a relationship with you. Nobody likes that. No parent likes that from their children. When all their children do is just show up and they want something, and they want something, and they want this, and they want that, and they need the keys to the car, and they need a little extra cash for the weekend, and they need help paying their bills. But there's no cultivating relationship. There's no spending time. There's no coming over for dinner. There's no coming checking in. There's no calling and just seeing how things are going. There's no development uh, or, or, or cultivating a relationship. You just want something rather than knowing someone. 
And we just want to know, is this the right person to marry? We just want to know, is this the right house to buy? But we have no intention of allowing God in that marriage. We have no intention of allowing God in that home. We have no intention of, uh, uh, of bringing God to the job. We just want to know, is this the right job? And so the first mistake that people make in wanting to know the will of God is they're only after information and they're not after cultivating a relationship. Jesus cultivated a relationship with his father. He got up early to pray with his father. He got up early to communicate. He was up all night sometimes. He was in a direct relationship, a direct uh, uh, information, or uh, a direct relationship, not just for information, but for a relationship with his father. To the point that he could say, I and my father are one. And when he reveals his will, it's automatically my will. I'm so in tune with my father that when he reveals his will to me, it becomes my will. When he reveals his plan to me, it becomes my plan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 again. says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in who? In who? Himself. His his will is in himself. If you want to know God's will, get to know God. If you want to discover God's will, discover God. Having made known to us, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. His pleasurable will for your life is in him. So here's the thing. If you want to know God's will, you must first get to know him. To know God's will, you must first know him. That's the greatest starting point that I can give you for discovering God's will. There's no formula. There's no solution. The solution to knowing God's will is first developing a relationship with him. Well, there's a reason why unbelievers don't know God's will and can't know God's will. Because they don't know him. They have no relationship with him. They're not in the family. They don't have his same interests. They don't have his same desires. But as believers, we ought to come into the kingdom, and part of coming into the kingdom is saying, I am laying down myself, my desires, my will, and I want to take on your will and your desires. What are you interested in? And when you do that, he'll reveal his will. It'll be so clear. It'll be so open because he'll know. You and I are one, and I know that if I reveal my will to you, you're going to take that will, and you're going to make it your own, and you're going to do it. You're going to apply it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Actually, I wanted to read this real quick. I think you should have it 
in the U version, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in the message, says it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you're living for. If you're trying to find out God's will for your life at the expense of developing a relationship with Jesus, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. I know one pastor that whenever he counsels with people that are having questions or wanting to know what to do in certain situations, before he starts counseling them, he'll have them go into the sanctuary and take 30 minutes and just pray. Just pray. Because bottom line is, if you're developing a reliance on a pastor or uh, someone ahead uh, in your life to be able to direct you in God's will, your reliance is, is in the wrong place. Now, I'm not going to say that God can't use Leaders in your life to help direct you and guide you in certain decisions. That's definitely possible. But that's not where you're, that's not the source. We're not the source. If we get it, we're getting it from the same source that you can go to. And so what, he, what is he doing? He's cultivating a culture within his people. He's developing within them. You can go to God and hear from God yourself. He's just developing that within them. Don't rely on me. I'm not the source. Because if I give you the answer, then you're going to think from now on, if I just go to Pastor Mark, he's going to have the answer for what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Sometimes I may, by the Holy Spirit, and other times I may not. And all I can do is just give you steps to get towards that and progress towards that. But either way, the reliance needs to be on the Holy Spirit. The reliance needs to be on the one who already knows everything about your life. Well, do, I put, do I put my kids in homeschool or do I, do I keep them in school? And we're going to find out pretty soon that that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who you marry. Well, if we didn't get married, then she wouldn't be in the ministry with me, and, and then you know we wouldn't be serving together, and she'd be out doing something different. Doesn't matter. Because you're going to find out next week, what matters is the how, not the what. That's what matters. Doesn't matter what job you take. Doesn't matter if you buy that house. Now, it matters when God gives specific direction, but he'll do that. You won't have to go searching for it. When God gives that specific direction, then you better be obedient. No, this is not the right timing. And I will teach you throughout this series how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the greatest asset in your life to following God's will for your life. He's the greatest asset. And I'm going to teach you how to be sensitive to the Spirit I'm going to teach you how to uh, follow those leadings and those guidings and know when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you because he will speak. 
Jesus said he'll guide you into all truth. He'll lead you. He already knows your future. He's already been where you've been or where you're going. He's your guide. And so I'll teach you how to follow that. And so when you feel something saying, you know what? It just doesn't feel right. doesn't feel like the right timing. doesn't feel like the right person. doesn't feel like the right job. Then you'll be able to follow that. But then there's other times where it doesn't matter. God's not concerned about which job you take. He's concerned about are you going to take him on the job? He's not concerned where you go to school. He's concerned about are you going to make influence at the university that you go to? He doesn't care if you go to Valdosta State University or you just go to Wiregrass. He's concerned with, are you going to take me with you to Wiregrass or are you going to take me with you to Valdosta? He doesn't care which person you marry. He cares, are they godly? And are you going to operate as a godly individual in the marriage? He doesn't care if you have one child or four children. He cares are you going to raise them in my word or are you going to let them go astray? So I want to simplify this for you. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him. Paul's greatest directive in his life was knowing someone, not something. Paul's life was guided and directed by knowing a person, not a thing. And in the things that are easy, is it God's will to heal? God's will for me to continue to help that person. Some things are simple. But then the things that aren't so simple. You need to make sure, you need to make sure in your life that I'm not just searching for information. I'm searching a relationship. And then you'll find out this is really simple. God's just wanting, God's just wondering what I'm going to do with the next step. But for us to think that some of the decisions that we're faced with in life will literally alter the universe and just mess up the whole system that God has in store, and if we get outside of God's will, this thing shouldn't be dangerous. I want to take the, the, the guessing game out. I want to take the, um, the imprisonment out, the binding out, I want to set you free when it comes to God's will. I want it to bring freedom for you. Not lock you down. Not hold you back. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that the solution to knowing your will is you. So Father, if we would just learn to cultivate and build a deeper relationship with you, your will would come to us so much easier. Not that there wouldn't be any searching, uh, searching or seeking. Not that there wouldn't be opportunities for us to have to go a little deeper uh, than just the regular basis. But Father, we know that the first step to solving your will is developing a relationship with you. 
Father, in those areas where we have fallen short in the past, where we maybe were just seeking information but weren't really seeking a relationship, Father, forgive us for removing the most important key to the equation. Forgive us for searching your will without seeking you. Forgive us for only going after information and not really wanting to cultivate a relationship. Father, we determine today in our lives that as we go through this series and we continue to discover principles and keys and steps to being able to walk in, uh, be in your will. Father, we want to get the first thing right, and that is to develop a relationship with you. Father, I believe that this morning, those of us that are here, that determine in our lives, we're going to seek you, that the information will come easy. I believe this morning that questions that we currently have in our lives, that you'll begin to open our eyes, you'll begin to open doors, you'll begin to make things clear, because we seek first the kingdom, not just information. Knowing the king is knowing the kingdom. Father, I thank you that we purpose in our lives this morning to seek you, to know you, and in doing so, you will make your purpose and your will and your assignments in our lives. You'll make them known to us. You'll make them clear to us. We will obey and we will walk in it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.